Welcome to Music and Medicine. My name is Jacques Osmo, and music is my life. In this show, we will discuss the newest research on the intersection of music and medicine from scientific, musical, and historical perspectives. And most importantly, I hope that what you hear in this program will help you identify how to use music to make your own life healthier and happier. Today, we have a great pleasure of having with us Dr. Andrew Rossetti. Dr. Rossetti is a music therapist on staff at the Louis Armstrong Department of Music Therapy at Mount Sinai Beth Israel Hospital in New York. There, he supervises the multi-site music therapy program in radiation oncology, among other things. Dr. Rossetti, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You specialize in the clinical use of music in radiation oncology. The use of music in cancer treatment in general is such an important topic, one that I'm personally very interested in. So can you tell us a bit more about your work? Sure. I've been here at the uh, Louis Armstrong Center for Music and Medicine at uh, Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York City for about 11 years. And um, I was very, very fortunate to have been hired to implement a, a program of music psychotherapy in radiation oncology. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a fascinating project from the very beginning because at, at the time there was really nothing to, to use as a model for this other than, than uh, Dr. Joanne Lowy's model of mm -hmm. uh, medical music psychotherapy. But there were, there were literally no programs, music therapy programs in, in radiation oncology. There were many in chemotherapy um, mm -hmm. and some that addressed inpatient oncology concerns, but nothing in, in radiation oncology. So I was very, very fortunate to, uh, to get hired to, to implement, design and implement uh, a program uh, in radiation oncology. And I've been, uh, as I said, since about, uh, been about 11 years. And uh, we, the program has grown. It's become a multi-site program. Uh, we started off at uh, one location and now we're, we're at three. And uh, we have two full-time uh, music therapists and uh, in all six uh, interns, music therapy interns, and two research assistants that are taking part in the project here in radiation oncology. When you started the program, you obviously had to introduce it to both the patients and, and the physicians and oncologists. Can you tell us a little bit about that program of introduction and gradual immersion into the everyday oncology procedures and happenings? Sure. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Well, music therapy was, was uh, an unknown in radiation oncology in general and specifically in, in this particular uh, this particular unit at, at uh, Mount Sinai. And uh, so there was a, I'll explain the, the, what I think the process was. I spent about the first month of uh, my stay here just interviewing physicians, uh, interviewing radiation oncologists, interviewing uh, technical staff. Uh, we have a physics department, which at the time had 12 physicists. Uh, so nursing staff, you know, bothering them as much as I could with questions about, uh, mm -hmm. you know, what are, what are the difficulties? Where, where are the challenges? Where are the challenges for you? I spent a lot of time just observing patients in the, in the waiting room, 
waiting rooms are very, very interesting places. Uh, also a petri dish for state anxiety, as I observe. Mm -hmm. And so from all of that observation and, and interviews, uh, we came up with the idea that, that uh, the program needed to be focused on, a, on uh, not just specifics as it is, but on a, on a broader, sort of a broader view of things. And that idea is, is that uh, what we do is very much aimed at preemptive care in the sense that we are uh, trying to, to provide patients with experiences and resources that will be preemptive care for medically induced trauma. Okay. Right? So how do you get physicians on board with a project like that? Well, that was quite a challenge. And I think that, that uh, you know, team building uh, is one of the things that, that uh, we pride ourselves on, on being, I guess, sort of adept at at this point. Uh, Joanne Lowy is an absolute master at that. I mean, the program, her program has been in place for 28 years at this point. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that what was involved was a process where you would speak to medical personnel and you had to show them a, a couple of things. First of all, that you were competent mm -hmm. and that there was something that you actually could offer to their patients. And I say I use their patients specifically because in the hospital, everybody thinks that the people that are there are their patients, right? Not somebody else's. Mm -hmm. And so being able to show physicians and, and uh, medical staff, nursing, nurse practitioners, that there was something that we could actually offer that was beneficial to the, to the patients, not just a pleasant aesthetic experience, but then even more than that, to show them there was actually something that we could do, especially in procedural support, that would make their jobs easier to do. They saw that it was not only beneficial for the patient, but it was also good to have this as part of the team. just heard the first movement, Fantasia of Lute Sonata No. 36 in D minor by Silvius Leopold Weiss, performed by Robert Barto. 
Today, we are speaking with Dr. Andrew Rossetti. Dr. Rossetti is a music therapist and staff at the Louis Armstrong Department of Music Therapy at Mount Sinai Beth Israel Hospital in New York. There, he supervises the multi-site music therapy program in radiation oncology. Very good. Now, this was 11 years ago. The techniques and benefits of the clinical applications of music are not taught in medical schools. That is now changing, but it is a gradual process. As a consequence, these techniques and their benefits are not the most familiar to a lot of physicians out there. How did you show to people in advance that these things are really beneficial okay. without them seeing it simply as this adjunct activity that is, you know, especially before the clinical, uh, certain clinical studies were done, that without them treating it simply as this adjunct activity that is maybe nice, but not so crucial. Now, I think we know more and more that it could be actually crucial, mm -hmm. you know, in, in so many ways. So, I mean, this is a, I see this as, uh, as being a multifaceted sort of process. We are not shy about uh, participating in grand rounds. I've given, uh, at this point, many grand rounds that are, that are directed at medical staff mm -hmm. to explain methodology and logistics, the nuts and bolts, you know, what actually happens in, uh, in music psychotherapy. So that's part of it. We also, we, we give lots of in-services, which are uh, short talks, usually uh, between 15 and 30 minutes, with, where we try and uh, also include some sort of experientials in that. Once again, directed at a small group of medical staff so that they, mm -hmm. they can see and hear you know, what music therapy uh, might have to offer. But I, I also think that part of this was being able to leverage being given the chance to, to try, to, to try and, and intervene and make a difference. And so in, you know, in a unit like, uh, like radiation oncology, there are quite a few, let's say, uh, close to emergency, medical emergency situations that come up. And so uh, some of those have to do with, with um, patients having panic attacks, having a, acute emotional responses uh, to treatment or, or to the side effects of treatment. And so it was very much about trying to leverage my way into those situations and saying, Get, you know, can I uh, try something uh, on, on patients, see if this does any, any good. And of course, having medical staff there to, to watch. So mm -hmm. uh, there were a, a number of really key aha moments uh, that had to do at, at the beginning with phobic responses to, uh, to medical procedures that I was, I was able to uh, help the patients sort of self-regulate and feel more grounded and collect themselves and be able to proceed with medical treatment. So for the physicians, the, you know, the big part of this was that, well, the music therapist did something that helped the patient be able to tolerate treatment. Wow, you know, great, because without that, that it becomes a whole different ballgame. And making sure that medical staff was there to see what was going on, to see the results, and also making sure that I did the best possible job that I could, because that could have gone the other way as well. If I would have tried something that turned into a disaster, the patient became <laughs> more agitated, you know, or complained that their, that their pain level had gone up, well, you know, goodbye music therapy, right? Yeah. 
So one thing that is often a problem in, well, in radiation oncology and, and other cancer treatment is patient noncompliance with the treatment schedules. So have you perhaps found that music therapy activities and music interventions had, have any impact on minimizing patients missing their treatments, for example? Sure. Yeah, I, th I think, but I can answer yes to that question, and, and, and it would be an accurate answer. My experience has been that a lot of noncompliance has, has to do with two, maybe two different uh, areas. And, and uh, uh, the first has to do with, with uh, emotional distress, right? Mm -hmm. um, as, as you know, because I, I'm, I'm sensing that you have had experience in, in the world of oncology, uh, perhaps direct or, or once removed. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, part of one of the big problems that, that comes up is that there is, there is a very significant amount of, of emotional distress that, that comes from treatment, from the results of treatment, uh, from illness burden in general, from treatment burden in general. And so when, it, when it's in that sort of domain, that's actually something that uh, music psychotherapy can be very effective with dealing with. There, uh, at this point, I, I get a very large number of referrals on a daily basis to work with patients who are in emotional distress. And usually what that means is that they're, they're unable to tolerate the, the experience of treatment. So that's, mm -hmm. that's one, and that's, that's um, an area that I think that we can intervene in. Uh, the other area is when the patient's side effects from treatment become so severe that they feel that, th that they can't deal with receiving more treatment. And so there are things that we can do. We, we certainly do uh, a lot of uh, what we refer to as biopsychosocial-based pain management, mm -hmm. um, that sort of things. If, if patients are having issues with nausea, there are, there are techniques that we can use, techniques that we can teach them uh, that may have a, you know, a certain amount of effect on, on, on their, their symptomology. If that leads directly to, to greater compliance, I, don't, I can't really judge if that's true or not. But in, a, in any case, I would think that uh, the availability okay. of music-based interventions would make the patients feel more cared for and cared about mm -hmm. uh, because these interventions can be very, it's a very personal thing. Sure. And I've noticed that you refer to the process as music-based psychotherapy. Music psychotherapy is actually the model that, that, uh, mm -hmm. that we use. And, and uh, I am a licensed psychotherapist in New York State. So, Okay, yeah. very good. In, in that case, it can get really very personal, that whole process. Sure. In terms of, in terms of helping the patient.
just heard Pat Metheny's gorgeous version of Paul McCartney's ballad, And I Love Her. Today we are speaking with Dr. Andrew Rossetti. Dr. Rossetti is a music therapist and staff at the Louis Armstrong Department of Music Therapy at Mount Sinai Beth Israel Hospital in New York. There, he supervises the multi-site music therapy program in radiation oncology. Well, that, that is amazing. Now, I'm wondering if you would be able to share with us some of the anecdotes where you found that uh, music-based interventions really helped. So we focus a lot on um, a medical intervention that's called simulation in radiation oncology. And okay. simulation is the, the uh, uh, medical procedure that patients get the first day they come to the unit. Uh, it's a session in which they, are, they receive a, a sort of extensive medical imaging with a CAT scan for the most part. And they are fitted for what we call positioning devices and what the medical community uh, refers to as restraining devices. Mm-hmm. They also receive some tattoos. There are patients that are, that are not comfortable uh, with that. Those are for positioning uh, purposes during treatment. And um, it was really interesting because uh, when I was talking to you about that, the, uh, the month that I spent uh, talking to patients and asking them what the, you know, what the biggest challenges were. Um, across the board, it was really uh, fascinating that patients sort of consistently described this imaging procedure as the single most anxiety-producing moment in their entire treatment. And I thought, wow, that's a, that's a huge statement, really. Um, so we started, we started uh, looking at that process sort of like trying to reverse engineer it, uh, take it apart, okay. find out what the, what the issues were. And so um, one of the things that, that uh, we came across is that there, there is a very significant level of state anxiety in most patients that come in. Not, not all, but uh, many patients are, are quite anxious. And so um, that has led, or at, at going back 11 years, it wasn't all that uh, uncommon for patients to have a full-blown panic attack mm-hmm. during, uh, during the, the, the uh, simulation uh, process. And so I would, I would get referrals. You know, at, the, at the time, standard treatment was to give the patients Ativan. If that happened, have them wait 20 minutes for the Ativan to kick in, uh, sort of push them through the procedure, and mm-hmm. then you know, they would have to be under observation for a couple of hours before they'd be released. So all of that's a problem. It increases toxicity level in the, in the patients, and uh, it sort of shackles uh, nursing staff who have to observe the patient afterwards before they can let them go home. So um, I think medical staff was anxious to see if there was something that we could offer to, to change that. And so uh, there, there are, uh, we have a specific protocolized intervention uh, that has to do with, uh, with an, an induction, it has to do with breath focus and visualization all accompanied by live music um, that we use as a, uh, once again, either, either preemptive or to address patients having panic attack. And, and why that's, that's so common is radiation therapy includes two of the three most significant stressors in uh, medical procedures. Pain is the first, 
that's usually not that big a part of, of that process. But restraint and isolation are part of that process. And those are some things that, that uh, many patients find devastating. So patients that were unable to even walk into the room and look at, at uh, the CAT scan, uh, mm-hmm. things that I would, I would get referrals for. You know, let's, let's see what the music therapist can do with this. And so, uh, fortunately, as I said, we were able to develop a number of, of techniques of interventions to, uh, to help with this. And at this point, the, the incidence of uh, panic attacks during simulation is, is minimal. Mm-hmm. That is, I mean, it, it clearly shows the benefit of the approach. But can I also please ask you, so there are different, I mean, so many clinical studies have been done that, that support the, the use of music-based interventions in, in cancer care in general. So, for example, we know that um, music-based interventions are often more effective in terms of anxiety, tre- treating the anxiety than, than uh, pharmaceutical agents, or can be. Sure. Do you find that these things are accepted within the medical community nowadays? Uh, yeah, I mean, that wide a net, the medical community is a huge community. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that at, at this point, it is very well accepted with uh, staff that, that I get to work with in these, in these three separate uh, uh, facilities. So, yeah, I think little by little, you know, it, research is such an important tool. It's such an important thing. Uh, we have a, a study that was published in 2017 in the uh, International Journal of Radiation Oncology, Biology, and Physics. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting it published there was was a really big deal because we were the, not just the first music therapy uh, study that they had published because this journal is all about protons and photons, mostly. Okay. Right. Uh, but the but the first sort of integrative medicine uh, study that was published, to my knowledge, in that in that journal. And strangely enough, it made the the list of their uh, twenty most downloaded articles four years in a row. That is amazing. Which is yeah, it's it's incredible. I think right there, there there's been. Uh, quite a bit of exposure about okay. the, the possibilities of you know what a program might look like, what it might be able to do. But we were published in the uh, New York Times uh, about a month a month and a half ago. They did an article about about the program, and uh, they interviewed uh, three of the physicians who I work with, and I was absolutely amazed at the the things that the physician said about. Uh, you know, we were talking about how accepted mm-hmm. is how they can how they consider it uh, to be something that, in some situations, can be offered or used instead of a pharmacological approach. So, for a physician, that is fantastic. Yeah, that, that is fantastic. Yeah, that's a pretty big statement. The benefits are tremendous. The problem, I think, gradually may become the requirement of health systems in this country, in particular to monetize their services in a certain way. Sure. A lot of these methods that produce tremendous benefits are much less expensive or come at no expense to the patient. And yet they produce tremendous benefits. Right. So how do you think one can overcome that in terms of acceptance of these methods in mainstream medicine? Uh, That's a rough question. Yeah. I mean, billing right now for... Uh, for integrative 
medicine modalities is something that is has not really trickled down and become something that's standardized. Mm-hmm. So um, my understanding is that it's a little different depending on what hospital you're, you're in, you know, and, and of course, how this is coded for billing is another, is another mm-hmm. question. So there were systems where, whereby uh, there was uh, uh, reimbursement strategies and, and, uh, and things like that. But uh, it is far from being resolved. It's still very much uh, a work in, in, in progress. But there is a billing system? In in yeah, yeah, yeah. the hospitals there, where yeah yes there are hospitals uh, where you where music therapy is something that's uh, billable. All right. So also my question in part comes from the fact that there are techniques that you can apply in the treat in the treatment that you can share with patients that they can then after that do themselves. Indeed. Especially if you are dealing with things that have been shown to have effects that come closer in some some instances are more effective than pharmaceutical agents then that may become disruptive well disruptive to to certain sectors of the the yes of course um, healthcare system sure absolutely but you know i i don't think i don't think big pharma is going to disappear anytime soon mm-hmm. and uh, i really don't foresee any paradigm shifts in the you know philosophy of healthcare in the United States. Okay. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I, I wanted to address what, what you started off uh, asking about about um, uh, this idea of teaching patients how to how to uh, use the, the things that, that we tools that we use as therapists. And uh, this is this is an, an integral part of, of uh, my approach. In that um, we're we are very much um, resiliency focused. This is about trying to help patients shift the, this change in identity that happens when someone gets a, a severe um, illness. Mm-hmm. There's often a very very real shift in sense of self in their how they they identify themselves, and so. Often, what can what can happen in that process is that patients who are getting, especially if it's long term treatment, sort of um, take on this role of passive recipient, right? And um, that can that can lead to real feelings of victimization. You know, loss of the locus of control suddenly shifts from internal to external, multiplied by a hundred, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the ways that we approach that is to try and actually provide resources for the patients to use on their own. And that, and that includes teaching them relaxation techniques and um, how, how to use uh, uh, music-assisted relaxation and things like that, um, even pain management strategies that they can do on their own. With the idea of the bigger picture is that, is that it's looking to shift their sense of self from being passive recipients to being proactive participatory in their own treatment. Mm-hmm. Right? So that, that shifts that whole thing of the locus of control back into being more internal. And you can, you can see a difference when patients actually start to integrate those ideas and those techniques. 
there's there's often a real shift in the way they approach treatment and the way they are in treatment. But they feel, I, I suppose they start to feel that they they have some degree of control because there's yes. so much in the cancer treatment that you absolutely have no control over, including the treatments that are administered. But if there is something that you can actually do, you know, that is, that, that would make a huge difference. Um, I mean, cancer treatment is, is challenging. It's often a, a horrific experience for many people. Mm-hmm. So anything you can do that can, that can sort of shift their focus a little bit off of the, the horrificness of, of the experience is, is a good thing, I think. Absolutely. We've just heard Xavier Diathlatore perform Chacon in A minor by Robert Davizé. Today we are speaking with Dr. Andrew Rossetti. Dr. Rossetti is a music therapist on staff at the Louis Armstrong Department of Music Therapy at Mount Sinai Beth Israel Hospital in New York. There he supervises the multi-site music therapy program in radiation oncology. So could you please tell us a little bit about how did your career and your interests lead you to radiation oncology and cancer care in general? Well, um, sure. I, I think at, at this point, I'm, you know, I'm 
soon going to be 69 years old. So there's a, some miles that have been traveled. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it seems like this point that, that um, this is just a logical landing place for a, a series of, of events and opportunities that, have, uh, that I've been very, very lucky to have uh, in, in my life. And the first was um, when I was ready to go to college, I wasn't sure whether I wanted to study psychology as a major or music as a major. Mm -hmm. I'd been a musician since I was a little kid and all, and all of that. But yeah, it was, it was uh, very fortunate that I chose music. I mean, I, I continued to study psychology. I've always been, whether that was formally or, or informally, I've always, I've always continued uh, studying that. But, but um when I when I found out that there was such a thing as music therapy, it was it was just uh, you know totally serendipitous. It wasn't that I was looking for a new career, mm -hmm. and uh, I just heard about this thing that sounded like oh my god, wow, this is actually sounds like a place where where uh, the study of of human mind and behavior and the study of music converge, mm -hmm. and it just felt like it was too good to be true. So I, I didn't start off my career as a therapist, which happened sort of later, later in life. Um, I didn't start off in, in oncology. I started off, uh, I, I think I was very fortunate uh, to be able to start off in inpatient um, psychiatric care, acute psychiatric mm -hmm. care. And uh, I lived in, in uh, Barcelona, Spain for about 35 years. That's where I got my master's in. Okay in uh, music therapy and uh my my uh, clinical internship was was at this uh, uh acute psychiatric facility that had never had music therapy mm -hmm. and i was very very fortunate because um my my supervisors i i didn't have a music therapist um although officially i had a music therapist as a supervisor my actual on-site supervisors were a psychologist a psychiatrist and four psychiatric nurses, but no idea what music therapy was mm -hmm. supposed to look like. So it was really great because uh, we would have chart rounds every day, and they would ask me what interventions I was going to do with the patients. And literally, I could do anything within reason. Mm -hmm. uh, the only thing is, I had to have a I had to have a clinical justification for what I wanted to do. And they were very vocal and very opinionated. And if they thought something had no uh, no basis to it, no real clinical value to it, they would tell me. So um, I, I got to make lots and lots of mistakes in, in that process, learn mm -hmm. a lot. And I, I think that what I learned in that context is something that I still very much carry with me. Okay. Yeah. And so um, at one point, how, how uh, the practice in, in uh, oncology happened was that by uh, an incredible stroke of luck, mm -hmm. really, uh, this this project opened up, and uh, I was I was invited to uh, uh, to apply for it, which I did, and somehow miraculously, I got the job. Congratulations, and I'm sure everybody benefited from it as well. That's kind of to say. Thank you.
We've just heard La Saranina, performed by Peter Blanchett on the arch guitar. Today we are speaking with Dr. Andrew Rossetti. Dr. Rossetti is a music therapist on staff at the Louis Armstrong Department of Music Therapy at Mount Sinai Beth Israel Hospital in New York. There, he supervises the multi-site music therapy program in radiation oncology. And finally, do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners? Sure. I mean, music is this, is this incredibly pervasive, powerful experience. And um, it is something that, that science is showing us uh, that it affects the entire organism, the entire organism, on a physiological level, on, a, on an emotional level, on a, on a mental level. And it's, for me, it's really difficult to try and imagine a world without music. And so I, I think that there is such vast potential for the, for the clinical use of music, for the use of music in, in wellness um, and well-being, that um, we are at the, at the tiny, tiniest little cusp of understanding how that, how that all might play out. Absolutely. Thank you so very much. It's been such a great pleasure having you with us today. Thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Today, our guest was Dr. Andrew Rossetti. Dr. Rossetti is a music therapist on staff at the Louis Armstrong Department of Music Therapy at Mount Sinai Beth Israel Hospital in New York. There, he supervises the multi-site music therapy program in radiation oncology. Until next time, stay healthy and happy and keep listening.